0: Hi there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur podcast for Friday, September the 18th. Coming up, we'll talk about Toronto's General Assembly Pizza, launching the world's first ever pizza subscription service right here in Toronto. And vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel talks about social bubbles, Ontario's hotspots and university students testing positive for COVID-19. All of that coming up right now. Obviously, this pandemic, it's been a tough time for us all. But the pandemic has been particularly tough on the restaurant industry. But Toronto's General Assembly Pizza, well, they've come up with a bit of a unique business idea. And joining us now is Ali Khan-Lalani. He is the founder of General Assembly Pizza and joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Ali, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, First of all, just uh, how busy is the uh, pizza biz these days?
1: Pizza business is doing all right. Uh, Our takeout and delivery channels are are doing okay. Um, Our dining room is obviously feeling feeling the pinch at the moment, uh, along with many other restaurants all over the country.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because of the uh, dine-in uh, business and the inability probably to sell as much uh, liquor or alcohol as you normally would, uh, would you say that revenues are are down slightly or down a bit uh, despite the fact that, you know, takeout, and I think pizza in particular, a lot of families have still been ordering that in during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, you know, our takeout and delivery business uh, has seen some gains over, over the last couple of quarters, uh, but our dining room business is, is still significantly down uh, over 75% down from where it used to be
0: what sort of changes have you made uh, ali when it comes to uh, preparing the uh, pizza we hear all the time now that it's a uh, touchless uh, no hands will uh, touch your order as it's uh, made or goes in and out of the uh, oven what sort of differences are there in the kitchen right now
1: You know what? We've uh, worked hard over the last few months and we've developed a a pizza subscription business uh, that offers people at home or at their office or wherever they are, contactless, a simple home delivery via a monthly subscription box where people uh, can go go to gapizzaclub.com, pop in their postal code. We currently deliver to any postal code in Toronto that starts with the letter M. And um, they're able to choose four, six, eight, or 10 pizzas uh, for a safe, simple, contactless delivery right to their home.
0: Okay, yeah, because this has been making headlines the last uh, couple of days a pizza subscription service. Uh, where'd you come up with the idea?
1: You know, our our team collectively sat down during the pandemic and we tried to brainstorm a way to deliver our pizza into people's homes instead of having them come to the restaurant, which we thought was a much safer alternative. Uh, When we took a stroll down the traditional supermarket grocery aisle, uh, we were confronted with uh, incumbent pizza brands um, that hadn't really taken a step forward to make their pizza healthier, safer, more natural, and uh, just a more premium product. Uh, So we were able to put our heads together and come up, come up with a premium all natural uh, pizza that people could be proud of serving to their friends, family, and children.
0: Yeah. I'm really intrigued though, by this idea of pizza by subscription. And I'm wondering why it took so long maybe to come to the marketplace because it does seem like a natural. I mean, I'll even go back as far as I can remember. I had a subscription to the Columbia house record uh, club and I would get you know an album once a month that uh, would come to my house, <laughs> and now we're doing it finally with pizza
1: you know, you know we we were when we started digging into this we we kept digging and digging. We thought you know there must be something out there, but but lo and behold, we were the, the first the world's first pizza subscription uh we, we were a restaurant brand proudly uh based in downtown Toronto, and uh, we thought there would be no better place to go to market than right here in our backyard. Uh, in the city of Toronto. So we we launched on Tuesday and uh, we're almost 50% sold out. So we have uh, about uh, 50% of our inventory of subscriptions left uh, for the month of September before we roll into our new month in October.
0: Yeah, walk us through the process, if you could, Ali. Exactly, if I sign up for a pizza subscription from General Assembly, uh, do I say, like, I want a pizza once a week, like, I can get one every Friday night, and here's the size, and then can I mix up, uh, you know, I might want a Hawaiian one week and then a Meat Lovers the next week, that sort of thing?
1: Great question. Uh, So if you visit gapizzaclub.com, it will take you directly to our subscription page. Pop in your postal code, as long as it starts with the letter M, Uh, We'll be able to deliver to you. If you do not have a postal code with the letter M, feel free to also pop it in there, and we'll let you know when we do deliver. L postal codes are next. The next page, you'll be able to choose a box of four, six, eight, or ten pizzas. We currently offer classic all-natural pepperoni uh, pizzas, uh, meat options, vegan options, plant-based options, and vegetarian options. Uh, So you can build your box however you like. Um, and then it's almost set it and forget it. Um, in, in early October, you'll, you'll receive a, a notification from us telling you when your delivery day will be. And, uh, lo and behold, uh, you'll, you'll receive your order on that day. And for the following month, you'll be able to change your delivery, um, box. If you wanted a few less pizzas, if you wanted a few more pizzas, or you want to try a couple of different flavors, you have the ability to change it every month.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned there's a notification uh, service because I could just imagine I'd uh, forget that I had a pizza coming on uh, Wednesday nights, and then I'd be halfway through cooking dinner, and then the pizza would arrive.
2: Like...
1: <laughs> sort of. Uh, we, we were um, it was an interesting point uh, the the notification delivering pizza, um, frozen pizza specifically to people's homes uh, presented uh, an interesting way for us to come up with a unique. Uh, box that actually keeps the pizzas frozen for four hours. So we notify you two hours out, one hour out, 30 minutes out. But just in case you're not home or you're busy doing what you do, uh, our box is temperature safe and controlled and can sit in inside or outside up to four hours.
0: Yeah. Do you think this idea is here to stay, the pizza subscription? And do you think maybe your competitors, others uh, might try something similar?
1: I definitely think the pizza subscription is is here to stay, and um, who knows? T- time will time will tell if any others join the market. Uh, we believe that it's a strong path forward in a safe, reliable way for uh, for for people to enjoy restaurant quality pizza in their home in just five minutes.
0: All right, Allie, founder of General Assembly Pizza. Allie, thanks so much uh, for this. Uh, best of luck with this idea. Love it, and I hope it uh, goes gangbusters for you.
1: Thank you, Jeff. All
0: right, be well. By the way, I would probably take my pizza subscription and I would uh, marry that with uh, wine club. If you oh. belong to a wine club and you get like wine delivered to your house maybe once a month.
1: You'd uh, match those up, eh? Yeah. You probably wouldn't forget that though, showing up.
0: <laughs> <I have a laughs> not, likely, no. not likely, not <laughs> likely. But to give us a little perspective, let's welcome in Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon. Nice to have you back with us. Thank you, Jeff. All right, first off, uh, okay, we've passed another threshold, if you will, here. Uh, We're over 400 cases, uh, daily uh, cases. How concerning should that be for the province?
2: Holy shush. Very concerning. Because now that schools are open, kids' social bubbles are exploding. Consider that kids make up about a quarter of Canada's population, and so far have accounted less than 10% of the number of COVID cases. But understand that so far, kids have been under-tested compared to adults. And even though half of kids who were tested, they had no symptoms. And the other half, it just looks like a cold, sometimes with diarrhea and vomiting, but we know that kids can and do spread the disease. The largest study we have on that was published by the Center for Disease Control, and it looked at what was learned in South Korea. They used aggressive contact tracing that we could only envy. They monitored 60,000 contacts of close to 6,000 confirmed kids in school. And what did they find? Those under nine had 5% of household members testing positive for COVID-19. But the older kids, the ones 10 and over, nearly 20% of the household members tested positive. So this tells us kids are over 10 are nearly four times more contagious than those under nine. So the bottom line is when a child does contract the virus from school, they may not have any symptoms, but they're still contagious to household members.
0: So these now, daily those... numbers sort of interrupt, but they're going nothing but northward then, do you think? Because we're not even factoring in. Again, we're at four oh one today, and that does not factor in back to school because we're not gonna see those results probably for another like week and a half, maybe two weeks
2: totally nailed that. That is absolutely true. And although there is no one size fits all, certainly whenever possible, kids returning to school need to avoid contact with or at least keep six feet away from high-risk household members. And they should wear cloth face masks in addition to protect vulnerable contacts and, of course, wash their hands frequently.
0: Okay, how much are these numbers, again, we're over 400, also the result of uh, testing? We're seeing long lineups and and a lot of tests being done.
2: I think that's a reflection of people's concern about what's going on and about people's need to know. We need actually not only rapid testing, we need rapid answers to testing and better contact tracing as well.
0: But do you think that we're seeing some increased numbers because we are seeing people show up and get tested, that more testing is going on? And we keep hearing the premier say that we're ramping it up. We're ramping up testing.
2: Lots of testing is associated with lower numbers, not higher numbers. So when people know they're infected, they can isolate or quarantine as needed. The problem is when we don't know because there is so much asymptomatic spread. That's been one of the biggest COVID-19 challenges. We don't know who's infected and who's not. That's why we're all wearing masks and, and in enclosed public spaces.
0: Let's talk a bit about, uh, we mentioned uh, back to school and kind of elementary and high school, but there certainly is a lot of concern when it comes to uh, university uh, students. We've seen uh, an outbreak, 28 Western University students in London, Ontario test uh, COVID uh, positive, sorry. When it comes to 20-somethings, it's a real big growth area when it comes to uh, COVID. What can be done about that, do you think?
2: We totally need to shake the tree on the basic of social messaging. First of all, if we consider alcohol and cigarettes, and now even in the world of vaping, we are conflating, we are mixing up, growing up, thinking independently with so-called making choices for our bodies. Real inner strength lies in saying no to things that damage our bodies and to feel good about saying no. So messaging from universities need to reflect that from the get-go. But there's a second issue, too, and that's that, you know, the, the myth is that kids, young adults especially, don't get sick with COVID-19. We were talking about this last time, the 40-40 rule. Do you remember what that is?
0: Yeah, absolutely. 40% of the cases under the age of 40.
2: That's exactly right. and the risk Do I win a,
0: a prize, prize, by the way?
2: Give me donut. fussy salad. The risk of hospitalization in that group is just over 2%. You know, people do not realize it. And, and a, a conservative estimate on long haulers' symptoms, which, by the way, are young adults by and large, is 10% of all cases. So think about that. It's not a disease that spares the young adult. And I think the core of our messaging needs to change to reflect that.
0: Do you think that a universities, should they consider uh, shutting down? We've heard that uh, several institutions either are or they are uh, considering that uh, as it seems to be a bit of a breeding ground, if you will, for COVID.
2: You know, it is, when it comes to education, our society absolutely has to prioritize that. You know, whether it's education for university students or education for, you know, the primary grades and the high school grades, that is our society's first priority. It's, I hate to say it. It's not restaurants. It's certainly not bars. It's certainly not large weddings and other ceremonies that get together, you know, hundreds of people. I laud. I congratulate Ford for doing what he has done. I think it took a lot of guts to make those new statements. They're bold, but they're consistent with the public health messaging. We need to protect our older patients. We need to protect as much our young adults from getting sick.
0: Why do you like them so much?
2: They make so much sense because they're protecting our population from getting sick. They're protecting our hospitals from being hosed in terms of number of cases. And I don't mean to sound overly dramatic in saying that, but you recognize that we have one of the lowest acute care beds per capita than any other nation except for one in the OECD. So we're, you know, and even those who have way more than we do, take Italy, for example had serious problems when the number of cases went way up. We cannot afford it. We do not have the hospital, nor do we have the ICU space. So that being the case, we have to do the best we can. And it makes sense anyway, both from a human point of view. It's not just even about the money and the hospitalizations. We want to save lives. We want to save cases.
0: Should we have stopped at those three hotspots? Do you think this should be blanket for the province?
2: I don't think it should be blanket for the province. I think we need to look carefully at the jurisdiction to see if it makes sense for that jurisdiction. True, it puts us a little behind the eight ball in that we're reacting as opposed to being proactive. And in an ideal situation, everyone would wear masks all the time and we would practice perfect social distancing. That's just not realistic. Consider that we're weighing a lot of different things. You know, it's certainly been very costly to our economy. We cannot afford to keep kids, for example, at home. They develop so much more than reading, writing, and arithmetic and from physically being in a school. They also get the social and emotional skills, psychological service, nu- nutritious and dependable meals. And never mind, it's the child care that allows parents to go to work. So there's, there's, it's just so, so much more. So I do think to some extent we have to be reactive to numbers. I think that makes sense.
0: All right. Can you make sense of the social bubble for us? Because we were wondering this aloud on the program when it was announced by the uh, premier, you know, shrinking outdoor gatherings to a 25 indoor to a 10 Yet there's a lot of people going back to work and exposed to uh, more than that inside their workplace. And, of course, they might have kids who are going into schools. And, I mean, that bubble is uh, 30 in a classroom, maybe as much as 200 students uh, at a school. So how does shrinking the bubble, it it sounds good in theory, but uh, in practice, does it really work? Does it make sense?
2: It can work, but we need buy-in from the population. You know, so it's, it's actually the very same thing when it comes to democracy as a whole. If the population buys into the concept and we each take personal responsibility, the system works. The system tends to fall apart when people cease to buy into it. When people don't understand, young adults face their own risks of getting sick, and a good estimate of that now sits at around 12 percent. If you include the long haulers, you know, so that's a serious risk of young adults themselves getting sick. It's not just about older people dying. The risk of a person over 60 dying is actually less than a quarter of that of somebody who is young having long-term problems from COVID-19. So it's interesting how we can look and parse the new data. And I think part of our success will lie in our ability to react to what we now know, how how our knowledge evolves and how we react to that evolving knowledge.
0: Some of what you just said there, doctor, is that the messaging that needs to get out and get out more frequently, more often to uh, people to really drive the point home that uh, you might not think it uh, is going to get you or affect you, but you could end up being a so-called long hauler with a lot of symptoms and a a lot of problems for, for some time. And there's things about this virus that we still don't know or is it better to institute to what the government did yesterday, which is a really heavy-duty fines for those that are not playing by the rules?
2: It's a combination of both. I think successful public health policy does not rely on any one strategy, but, but considers all the potential strategies that it has at, at its disposal. So to the extent that each one is going to help is very dependent on the society. So in certain Asian societies where the, the thinking is more collective, governmental edicts become god given law like you know but in in our society where we value the independent civil rights you know then we it, it it's a it's a appeal to independent thought as well as having governmental edicts in place that that restrict us
0: just finally, uh, Doctor, how critical is this period we're in right now, this time uh, right now? Again, for those just joining us, the COVID case in the province, over 400, 401. How much does right now matter in what people are doing or not doing?
2: I am so concerned that in one week from now, that 400 number will seem like a small number. You know, in two weeks from now, I shudder to think what it's going to be. And I would implore people, first, get the flu shot when you can. That's something we can protect against. And and if you're over 65, get the pneumonia shot. Ontario covers Pneumovax 23, which will protect you from invasive pneumonia. We know pneumonia predicts worse outcomes with COVID-19. So those are two simple things to do. And finally, when kids are at home, they've got to wear a mask in front of vulnerable household members whenever possible. They should be practicing social distancing from their vulnerable household members. You know, they they need to be in school. We get that. We're trying to walk a very careful walk between risk and between benefit.
0: All right, some good straight talk from Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Doctor, really appreciate all the time you've given us here.
2: Many thanks, Jeff. All the very best to you.
0: And this has been the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. A reminder, you can listen live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 on 640toronto.com. Also, search me out on Spotify. Just search my name, Jeff MacArthur. Or, of course, download us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.